0: That's um, Joshua chapter 8, page 183. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Do Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they came out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us, just as before, so we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai but Joshua spent that night among the people Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai and all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place, toward the Araba to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city, and Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in ai or Bethel, who did not go out out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, And that the smoke of the city went up. Then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them and all, all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin, until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded... And they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron torque and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them.
1: Let us pray. Almighty God, you are in control of everything that happens. Uh, But to be honest, we sometimes struggle with the way you fulfill your plans. Our knowledge is limited and our faith is, is weak. So please have mercy on us. Teach us your word today and help us to walk in obedience, even when we are not fully with it. Speak through Rob as he teaches. Fill him with your Holy Spirit so that he may speak words that you have placed in his heart. And may the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Hi everyone, it's wonderful to see you here um, for our next instalment of the book of Joshua. Thank you so much for reading Gemma. Um, It's a long chapter, isn't it? There seems to be quite long chapters in the book of Joshua, uh, but you're doing fantastic uh, with that, so thank you. Charlie is 13. His parents are Christians, so he goes to church with them. His mates don't do this. In fact, we think it's a bit weird. They get to spend all their time playing online games or competing in their favourite sports team. The truth is, they're clearly having way more fun than Charlie. After all, church can be a bit boring at times. Olu? Olu's 30 and she works in the salon. The ladies she works with come from the weekend. They're buzzing, each with great stories about the new guy they've met. Olu is a Christian and she knows that if she is to marry, it will be with someone who knows and loves Jesus and will help her to do that. But Olu's church is small and there's not many guys at all, let alone guys her own age. If we got Charlie and Olu in the same room together, uh, same room together and got them to pick a question that reflected how they feel, I think it would be this one. Is following Jesus the best way for me? Now you might be here and you might not be Olu or, or uh, Charlie, sorry. Um, and you might be asking, that would be a good question for you to ask. Is following Jesus the best way for me? Is it really the best way? Because I know there's going to be some things that have to change or some things that are different. But is it worth it? And we're going to be looking at this chapter of Joshua. Um, We sort of saw a bit of the storyline last week. If you remember, they had a defeat at a battle called Ai. Um, And we're going to see the other side of that. We just read about it now. Uh, But we're going to try and come up with an answer to that question. Is following Jesus the best way for me? Is it the best way for you?
0: Yes.
1: Let's have a look. Well, I think from this passage, the answer is yes, it is. But we're going to see that God's word is effective to condemn and to save. So that's all we're going to do tonight. Is we're going to look at the fact that God's word is effective. It does what he wants it to do. To condemn people and to save people. And So we're going to see that tonight. God's word is powerful and effective. If we compare how this chapter opens up with how the previous one opened up. I don't know if you remember the first few verses of chapter 7. Just have a look at them there. The only reference we find there is not to God's instructions or his words, but to his anger. And um, in those first few verses of chapter 7. But by the end of chapter 7, uh, if you want to look at chapter 7, verse 26, we hear these words. The anger of the Lord, the Lord turned away from his anger. And then in the opening verses of chapters 1 and 2, we see that what we've come to expect from the book of Joshua, which is the chain of command where God speaks, Joshua hears, and Joshua commands the people, we see that that's resumed, it's back on track. So a lot has changed between chapter 7 and the start of chapter 8. God's word... Is coming to Joshua in verses one and two, and it didn't. It didn't do that in the previous chapter. He didn't speak to Joshua in the, apart from in the prayer, and uh, we see that Joshua then commands the people, and the normal way of things resumes. So let's have a look at that first couple of verses together. It says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, "Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men, and arise, go up to Ai." See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and the land. There's three things that Joshua is told to do, and they're in verse 2. Okay? Three things. He's told, he says, you shall do to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take and lay an ambush against the city. There are the three things. Uh, king, ambush, and spoils. And I put them up on the screen there. God is promising that this will happen. Okay? You should do this. And if we look at the chapter, all three of these things are exactly what we see in the chapter. So let me show you. Um, Verses 3 to 13 is Joshua laying an ambush. It happens. God's word is powerful and effective. What God says happens, it happens. In verses 27... And I'll flick over the page. says that the people do, uh, they just take the, the livestock as, as the plunder for themselves. And in verses 29, um, we hear about the, the, the end or the result of the king of Ai and what comes of him. So everything God says in that opening verse 2, we see played out in the chapter, exactly like that. It is in reverse order, if you noticed. Uh, We go for the ambush first, then we go for the plunder, and then we go for the king at the end. But they're all there. It shows us, doesn't it, that God's word is powerful and effective. What he says he wants to happen, happens. At each of these key moments, we find these words. And they're there, first of all, in verse 8. If you want to flick over again to verse 8. We hear these words, uh, it's in the instructions that Joshua is giving, giving for the ambush. Joshua says, you shall do according to the word of the Lord, see I have commanded you. We hear those words according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. We hear them again and again in this chapter. Another thing that shows us that this chapter is really about God's word being effective and powerful. Everything is happening according to the word of the Lord. That's what Joshua says to the men in verse 8. He says it again, or um, we're told in verse 27 again, that the people did this with the plunder according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So we get that again, this phrase, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. And the key turning point in the action of this story that we've just read is verse 18 so look at verse 18 it will come up on the screen as well verse 18 says this then the lord said to joshua stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards ai for i will give it into your hand and joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city it's it's in the in the original language it's the same words i'll show it show on the screen Stretch out the javelin, that is, in your hand towards Ai. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. So we're see God's word is being fulfilled completely as he said it would in this chapter. To detail, to that level of detail. Um, and we see what effect that has. But God's word is effective, isn't it? It does what he sets out to, for it to do. And... Um, before this moment in this chapter, verse 18, anyone looking in would have thought Israel's finished again. <laughs> because they're the ones who have their backs turned and they're running away. And yet, verse 18 comes the exact timing of God's exact plan, exactly what He said they should do, and everything from that moment goes in completely opposite direction. And God's word is powerful and effective. God's word is not just the name that Christians use, the alternative name for the Bible. You might have heard that, people saying, oh, God's word. And and Christians say that because they're talking about the Bible. But it's not just the name uh, for the Bible. The name is there because God speaks, and he is God. And because he is God, his words achieve everything that he wants. Everything that pleases him. That's not like me at all, okay? Um, you, you probably just heard through the reading my son, um, Eddie, who unfortunately is unwell. He's been a bit unwell in the last couple of days. Um, but with Eddie, this is a constant reminder to me, firstly, that I'm not God, but also that my word is not effective, right? <laughs> because my word reveals something of what I want to happen and guarantee that's not what happens. Most of my frustrations is, I just wish that what I said would actually happen. (laughs) But I'm not God. My word is not effective. It's not powerful. And yet, God doesn't have that same problem. He's not frustrated because he's God. And to put it bluntly, if he's God, that means he gets gets to do what pleases him. And so what he says which is what he wants to happen, is effective. And we see that in this chapter. But how does God's word being effective and powerful affect you and me? It's a good question, isn't it? We could just say, oh, God's word is powerful and effective, but how does it affect me and how does it affect you? And that was kind of the questions that we were looking at uh, from those guys at the start. For that, we need to look at what God's word achieves in this chapter. What does God's word achieve? What does it do? And there's two sides to this. God's word is powerful to condemn, and it's powerful to save. We're going to see those two things. God's word is powerful and effective to condemn and to save. Verse 14 to 16 pictures the people of Ai, and first of all, it's the fighting men who came out, out to to meet the army of Joshua in the valley. But then we hear that actually all the people in the city, uh, in verse 16, were called together to pursue them. And so what we get here is a picture of a people who are united against God. The whole city are against God and his purposes. And they stand in opposition, united in opposition to him. Verse 12, 24 to 26 gives us a stark picture of what, where that ultimately leads to, doesn't it? It leads not just to a, a, a bloody war where there's bloodshed, but it leads to God's judgment. But this is not a new judgment that God is bringing, right? It's what God always said would happen. And he warned would happen. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles uh, to Genesis. Is it Genesis? Yeah. I might just have to read it. It might be on the screen. Is it on the screen? Yes. It says this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that will not be theirs, uh, that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, which is a people in this passage, right? Um, and we'll hear about the kings of the Amorites in the next chapter, of chapter 10. But God said that this was what was going to happen. That there would be a judgment on his enemies. For that moment, for Ai, that moment has come. And they, along with the rest of Canaan, had long heard about the awesome might of Israel's God. We'd heard that in chapter 2. We heard Rahab saying, Everyone in Canaan knows that the law, your God, is the true God and that he is mighty. Um, and that caused Rahab. To turn to him for mercy. Rather than to stand against him. She was the one person in Jericho, wasn't she? And with her family. Who said, I'm on the losing side here. So we know that people had long heard. And even this is years and years ago. I think it must be more than 400 years. Because he says that, doesn't he? In 400 years. That God said, this isn't the time. For me to judge. Now. But when their sin when the rebellion against me had reached its full measure and all of the wickedness that went with that, that's the time that I will act. So we see here, don't we, that God's word is powerful and effective because it sets out, it achieves what he sets out for it to achieve. And he sets out to confront wickedness and evil. And he said that back in Genesis 15, I think it is. 15. 15. Thank you, George. It's like having someone willing you on. Um, so back in chapter 15. Um, and we'll see this in the next few chapters of Joshua too. And we'll see the, the fullness of this in that the other nations that confront this God and his purposes are actually fighting a losing battle. They stand on, no, on nothing at all because they stand against him. It's a challenging truth, isn't it? That God God's word is powerful to condemn. But it's a necessary truth. And it's a necessary truth because it's true. <laughs> that's, that's that's it, isn't it? If it's true that God's word is powerful to condemn, then we need to know about it. And we need to we need that's important for us to hear as well. Because actually, if we have turned away from God, if we're living our lives independent of him and we don't want anything to do with him and in fact we haven't given him a second thought and god would be right to treat us the same way we provoked his judgment but this chapter also shows us how god by his word saves and he saves the people for his own we see that in this chapter remarkably (laughs) i mean these are we could talk about where they've come from in terms of Israel. They were nothing nation. They didn't even have a, They don't have a land, and yet God does all of this to show that He saves. He is the God who powerfully saves by His word. That's what we've seen in the uh, sections with those according to the word of the Lord. That actually everything happens exactly the way that God says it will happen, and therefore it's effective and powerful. It works. Um, But let's look at the last few verses of Joshua 8. We'll focus in on these verses, verses 30 to 35. Let me read. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, such as well as the native-born, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, if you wanted to know, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. Okay, hey, that's a long list, isn't it, of different things, details about the instructions of what happened. But Joshua has built an altar, uh, gathered the people, and uh, he gets. Some, they do some peace offerings, some burnt offerings, and then they hear the word of God. That's what happens in this little section. Um, if you want to turn in your, uh, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy twenty-seven which obviously comes before Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 8. And we might read a bit of 9 as well. Is that right? Let's read verses 1 to 8. This is Moses, who's before Joshua, because we know in Joshua 1 that Moses is dead. So Moses must be alive here, so it's come before. It says this, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying... Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that your Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write in them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that your Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up the stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this Lord very plainly. So, does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. we just read about that, haven't we? In, in chapter 8 of Joshua exactly the same thing that God said would happen back to Moses, through Moses is happening now and it's come about as we've seen in the last few chapters through uh, some remarkable uh, like victories that the people didn't achieve for themselves against all the odds God has done this so we're meant to see that God's word is effective it achieves what he sets out for it to do. And if he says that he's going to save the people for his own, guess what? He's going to save the people for his own. And that's what he does. And that's why the celebration here at the end of chapter 8 is around the words of God. God has done this, he has done what he set out to achieve. And we're, we're, we're recipients of it and we're thankful, but we're not proud. We're not saying we did this. And you can see that from what they do On if you go back to Joshua um, chapter 8. What do they do? The people of God, this gathered community that God has saved. Well, they, offer, they do burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, you and I, we don't know. We don't do that, do we? I mean, I like a barbecue. <laughs> and actually, I'm that kind of guy who barbecues just a bit too early. You know, when it's still a bit cold and everyone's shivering away and I'm like, yes, come on, barbecue season. Burn offerings and peace offerings were something in the Bible that, in the Old Testament, that the people were to do. And it was a, um, a picture for them that they too deserved to die. That's a bit unusual, isn't it? For them to do something together that, that, that was a picture that they deserved to die, that they deserved too to come under God's judgment. And yet that's what it was. The sacrifice, the animal sacrifice, the animal was brought in, prayed over, sacrificed, and the animal died. Sorry, I know there's some animal lovers here, probably. Are you an animal lover? I like cats. You like cats. Okay, they weren't cats. <laughs> We're safe. Um, but that's what happened. And it was a picture of, of God's judgment. And the whole reason they're doing it at the center of their community is to say, hey, look this would have been us. The same judgment that fell on everyone else should be the judgment that falls on us. So they're not proudly thinking, hey, we're better than the people that God's judgment fell, under, fell on. They're saying, we're not any different from those people and God's judgment should have fell on us. That's what happened in Egypt, if you want to read about it, in the Passover. That's why the Passover festival is such a big thing, is that God's Judgment passed over the people of Israel in Egypt. And it fell on the Egyptians. But only because they had the blood of the sacrifice. And the same thing here. So at the centre of this community is not saying, hey, we're, we're great. And God's judgment should fall on those guys, but not on us. But God's judgment should have fell on us. And yet there was another way. God made a way that there would be forgiveness, mercy. For those who deserved his judgment. Now, you know, you might know that the animal sacrifices were just a picture that pointed to the one only sacrifice that could actually do that uh, mercy for us, and that's the blood of Jesus. Because you can't substitute an animal, uh, a a human, sorry, a human making a mess of things, rebellion against God, with an animal. You have to have a man and the perfect man and Jesus was the perfect man and he came and he died and he shed his blood that sinners may be forgiven and so at the centre of this community at the very start of things you know, when they get together um, as they did back in chapter 5 but they get back together after God has done this is to say God we deserved your judgement and we, need, we needed your forgiveness and that's what you've done for us Um, So that's there. So, back to that question then. Is following Jesus the best way for me to live? Because actually, there'll be times, won't there, where you think, yeah, following Jesus will mean that there's things, like Olu and like Charlie, where you might choose to do something over something else. You might choose to go to church instead of playing video games. Or you might choose not to date that person because you're saving yourself for marriage. And those kind of decisions mean that actually you're asking the question, is it worth it? Sometimes you think, if you are a Christian, you want to live like that. But is it worth it? And if we see that God's word is powerful and effective, it will achieve everything that he set out for it to do. Then we can know for sure that it is the right way for us to live. Because God is true. <laughs> what he says he does, and what he does he says. And so for us today, sitting here, this week, if your life is built on this word, and on what God says, then it will, you will have bl- his blessing, as we sang about in that song. It might not be the kind of blessing that says, oh, this life's going to be easy, but in the future, when Jesus returns... You will be amongst his people. And he, he saves. And that's a, that's a great thing. that Lots of people here have come to realise. And uh, for themselves. Um, but there probably are other ways to respond. Than just that. And it's worth us going through them. And thinking them through together. So God's word being powerful and effective. To condemn and to save. But what about me? Well one idea could be to bury my head in the sand. And I guess in some ways the people of AI were doing that before the battle that we read about in this chapter. The best way to do that, uh, bury your head in the sand, is to simply not allow yourself to be exposed to what the Bible says. It's here. But not allow yourself to be exposed to it. That's fairly easy to do, isn't it? It's remarkably easy not to have to come to terms with what the Bible says. Because, you know, you don't need to open it. <laughs> you don't need to talk to anyone who talks about the Bible. There's nothing on the TV about the Bible. Um, there's, you know. so, you, so it would be remarkably easy just to keep God's words out of your life. And yet that doesn't change what they are. His words are still powerful and effective, even if we ignore them. And they will do what he sets out to achieve even if we're burying our head in the sand. So let me encourage you, if you're that kind of person that thinks, oh, you know, I can just think about this later on. Well, actually, I don't need to think about this. One bloke uh, we recently chatted to um, gave his top three excuses for not listening to the Bible. And you might have heard these before. The church is full of hypocrites, hypocrites, the Bible is, God's, is man's words rather than God's. And even if we could know God, which we can't because we're man, so it's impossible to know him. So there's three things there. And if the first one does, isn't strong enough to hold, the reason why I shouldn't read the Bible is the church's is hypocrites. Um, then I've still got two more backup excuses not to read the Bible. And, and I think that would be one way of burying your head in the sand. God's word is here. He's powerful. He speaks, he saves, he condemns. And he will do that when Jesus returns. And so and that's that's whether or not we, we ignore it, that will happen. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, actually, that's probably not the best idea. Maybe I want to hear more. Well, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's the opportunity to hear more from God's word and to respond to him you might have loads of questions about this. Ask them. Honestly, ask them. You can ask the questions that you want to find out. If there's things that you, you're like, what, what's going on here? What's God doing here? You know, How come this? How come that? You, know, you can ask those questions. Obviously, we're a bit limited here on a Sunday, but we have an online Bible study on Wednesdays, and you get to ask those questions, and you get to come back and say, yeah, I'm not sure about that. What's, what's going on here? Or you may want to respond, actually, to what we're hearing about God today. And we we sang in that first song two things. First of all, we said, behold, the power of your word, this is what your word can do. You spoke, creation came to be. And the response that was in that song was, I will trust his promise. And really, that's the prayer. If God's word is powerful and effective to save and to condemn... I'm going to, I'll trust his promise for me. And he might not feel all that different. But it is a good thing to say. Lord, I can trust your promise for my life. And your promise of what will happen in the future. Um, I can see that now. And actually a Christian is someone simply who has come to see. That what will happen when Jesus returns. And what the Bible says about that. It's true. And it's true because of what Jesus has already done. In coming as man and dying on the cross and raising to life. So it's true. If you're a Christian, and I said that this at the start, didn't I? There's going to be times when you think, this is hard, being a Christian. Is, is it is it worth me living the way that God shows me how to live in the Bible. Even if you've got the desire to do that, you might be thinking, is it worth it? And yet here we see, don't we, that it is (laughs) worth it. Absolutely. Eternally, yes. But now there's so much blessing to be had in being part of God's people. Have him speak his word into your life. To be remembering all the time that we're people who were deserving of his judgment... And yet have received his mercy. That's going to change you. And uh, I just encourage you, keep, keep on <laughs> going back to God's word. It is dependable and trustworthy and true. And if you build your life on this, I mean, what does Jesus say? He says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the person who builds their life on a rock. Not on the sand that will get blown away when the storm comes, but built on the rock. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that Your word is true. Thank you that by Your word You You set out what it is that pleases You, and we struggle with that when it contains both uh, blessing and also the judgment, the warning of judgment for when we turn away from you. And yet, Lord God, you have been merciful to speak to us tonight, to show us from your word that it's the right way for us to respond, to come to you and to seek your mercy. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus you have made that full and final sacrifice, that there is no longer any anger towards those who come under His good uh, salvation. We pray that we would be those who would keep seeing that your word is true and effective and powerful. And would it be effective in our lives as we listen to you? Please help us. Uh, There are many things um, that would convince us to not do that. And there are many other things that we could put in its place. But would you please build us and grow us? Uh, to trust you and to trust your words.
0: And we thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen.